Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. I look back at my my college career, and unfortunately I had so many injuries that I wasn't able to really focus on the quarterback position the way that it, it needs to be because right. I was rehabbing injury every year. And being in the NFL, I haven't had to deal with the injuries, and I got to work with Drew, and he brings in Tom House, he brings in all these guys, and man, I'm telling you, Drew just was like, ah, here you go. Here's everything that's made me great for so long. And so I've just tried to be a sponge. And so to answer your question, I really adopted all of his workout habits, his workout routine. I started working with Tom House, and um, I really had time to allocate to the position. That is Taysom Hill. You may not have recognized the voice, Peter King. We were joking at the Super Bowl before we had Taysom Hill on the program. We had no idea what he's going to sound like. Like, we don't know anything about Taysom Hill other than he is awesome at everything he does. Any voice could have come out of his head. And I would have said, well, I guess that's Taysom Hill. He's never done press conferences. He's never done interviews. I know he talked to you at the Super Bowl. He talked to us. We were in the same general area. And uh, the guy's great. He's a phenomenal player. He's not a jack of all trades. He's a master of all trades. He's been great for the Saints. He was the best player on the field in the wild card game between the Saints and the Vikings several weeks ago. And I think if the Saints had used him a little bit more, that game may have turned out differently for the New Orleans Saints. Great clip from Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings, who says on a play where Drew Brees is back in the game after Taysom Hill had run roughshod over the Vikings defense, Paul Allen says, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's a relief Drew Brees is back in the game. That's how good Taysom Hill is. And there's that run if you're watching on TV. He was phenomenal that day. So we're mentioning all of that, Peter, because you spoke with Sean Payton. And I get the impression, number one, 
that they're going to apply a restricted free agency tender to Taysom Hill, not sign him to a new contract. And number two, Sean Payton expects that somebody's going to sign Taysom Hill to an offer sheet that if the Saints don't match it, would give the Saints a first-round draft pick. Mike, the Saints can't know what they're going to do with Taysom Hill until they know what Drew Brees is going to do. And the very simple reason, and everybody would say, well, wait a second, why? what possibly if... Drew Brees might only play one year, maybe two max more. Why would it matter? The Saints should keep Taysom Hill. Well, obviously they should. But if they've got to throw out, and let's make up a number, if they've got to throw out $30 million for one more year of Drew Brees, let's just say, then they're going to be really hesitant. Certainly they're not going to bring Teddy Bridgewater back in that case. But certainly then they're not going to say, well, you know, we can match anything on Taysom Hill. Mike, the only reason why I think this is such a fascinating story is that I have had, I'd say, one team solidly interested in another team sort of fishing that I've talked to since the end of the season where they are fascinated with Taysom Hill, where they are interested in Taysom Hill and not necessarily as an every-down quarterback but as the kind of weapon that Sean Payton has unleashed on the NFL. So I asked Payton at the Super Bowl, it's on my podcast this week. I said, do you think we're going to play it too? We're gonna going play to it. make an, okay, good. So, so, but when I asked him this question, notice if we're going to play it and are we going to play it now? If we are, listen to the pause from Sean Payton, because this is not really a question that he wants to be answering. And I, I, and he was fine with it, really. But I think in an ideal world, he doesn't want to give anybody any hint of what the Saints are going to do if they make an offer on Taysom Hill. Let's play. Sean Payton talking to Peter King about Taysom Hill. Yeah, I, I think someone's going to make him an offer. But for the fan to understand this, you take tender him as a one the team that makes the offer on him and signs him to a contract understands that they're going to give up their first round pick yeah. if we don't match it that's easier to do when your one is pick 22 yes. 23 yeah. 24 25 yeah. we might very well see a team in the second half of the draft do that okay that's sean payton with peter king on the peter king podcast from super bowl week it's funny 22 is the bills they're not interested 23 is the patriots 24 is the Saints. They won't be signing Taysom Hill to an offer sheet as a restricted free agent. They would just sign him. 25 is the Vikings. Um, look, Peter, I agree with you that they won't know what they can do with Hill until they know what Breeze is going to do. However, I interpret everything he's told you as meaning, number one, they're not going to try to sign Taysom Hill to a contract before they apply the RFA tender. Number two, they're going to apply the first-round tender. Number three, they anticipate someone signing him to an offer sheet. And number four, they're confident they'll be able to match it, right? And they'll be able to say to whoever signs him to the offer sheet, thank you for doing the work for us. Now we have this guy signed for X number of years. And the reason I say that, I believe, and I don't know this, but I believe based on all the threads that are out there, that they know what they're going to pay Breeze if Breeze comes back. It's just a question of his breeze coming back. The money isn't the issue. The money isn't in doubt. And it ain't going to be $30 million. I think if Breeze comes back, it's going to be reduced salary, 
reduced role because they want to use more Taysom Hill. I detected from what Peyton told you a confidence that they will have Hill in 2020. They're not going to have him by signing him to a contract before an RFA tender is applied and someone would sign him to an offer sheet. They're going to have him after someone signs him to an offer sheet and the Saints match it. And I think they've already committed to doing whatever they have to do to keep this guy around. That's my interpretation of everything that's been playing out. The strength in if somebody makes him an offer and signs him to a contract, the strength for New Orleans is that that team, there's a chance that that team would be signing him as a gadget player, not as a long-term quarterback. And Mike, can you imagine, and let's just make up a number. Let's say somebody signs Taysom Hill to a contract that is three years, $35 million, uh, you know, $15 million in the first year. And let's just say, let's just say. And the Saints think to themselves, phew, I'll tell you, in 2021 and 2022, we project Taysom Hill to be our starting quarterback. So we're going to get him almost for in those two years, what a rookie deal would be for a quarterback. And it won't exactly be that. Obviously it'll be more than that, but that team might be doing the saints a favor. That's why this is such a difficult uh, contract to project because if you're only getting them as a gadget player, I, I think max you'd be like 10 million on the cap, something like that. Right. I mean, is there any way? I mean, maybe you front load it because you know the Saints don't really have the money to go crazy in the first year of this deal. Maybe you front load it hoping that it's too rich, you know, for them to uh you know for them to afford. But honestly, Mike, the more I've thought about this, the more I say, if I'm the Saints, I'm hoping he gets an offer sheet. Yeah, but Peter, here's the thing. If I'm Taysom Hill and they offer me three years, $35 million as a gadget player, I say stick it where the sun don't shine sideways because I'll just take the $6 million this year as, as a restricted free agent and become an unrestricted free agent next year and let somebody pay me to be a quarterback. I'm not taking a three-year commitment to be the Saints gadget player. I want to be a quarterback. The Saints view me as the long-term franchise quarterback. Sean Payton has compared me to Steve Young. I want to get paid like Steve Young. So... Hill's got some control here if he's willing to ultimately yep. decline all offers and play one more year for $6 million, which is still a hell of a lot more than he ever thought he was going to make in the NFL, but it's a hell of a lot less than he deserves. Here's my wrinkle that I could see someone like Bill Belichick trotting out, Peter. A one-year offer sheet like the Patriots did with Emmanuel Sanders several years ago when he was an RFA with the Steelers. One year, and you throw in, let's say you give him $15 million for one year. And you throw in a term, no franchise tag, no transition tag for 2021. Applies equally to both teams. Doesn't get invalidated by the management council. It's a legal and appropriate mechanism. You do that and the Saints match it. You got a guy who's a free and clear unrestricted free agent in 2021. And anyone can sign him away from the Saints. And that throws everything into disarray for next year. The only problem is if the Saints don't match it and take your first round pick, you've given up a first round pick for one year with Taysom Hill with no guarantee that he's going to be your quarterback beyond 2020. I mean, it's all, that's a pretty risky thing. Plus, obviously, maybe that's one of the reasons why the Patriots have reportedly said to Tom Brady, we want to know what you're going to do before 
uh, the league year starts. And, and so then, obviously, then they would be in position, if Brady goes, to make that sort of offer to Taysom Hill. My problem with it is very simple. That let's say that Taysom Hill is the Patriots quarterback in 2020, which I absolutely could see. You know, then do you want to risk Taysom Hill and Josh McDaniels making beautiful music together this year, not being able to franchise them, but just thrown in the pool with every other team? Then there's a good chance, in my opinion, that a team pick it. Who's going to be looking for a quarterback in 2021? Maybe Minnesota. the Bears. I mean, you, you'd pick a number. Yeah, Minnesota. There would be a number of teams that will have money. Then the Patriots are going to have to decide, do we want to sign a guy who's played quarterback in the NFL for one year? Do we want to sign him for 33, three years, $100 million? You know, And those are the problems. I, I knew what you were going to say, Mike. Because I've heard that floated, and I've all, I've also heard it said that you know by people in the league that that would be even more dangerous than any of the other options. Because if he plays great, then you're going to have to compete with everybody to pay him at the top of the quarterback market. Uh, so if I were the Patriots and I were doing this, what I would do because I would obviously, if you're going to sign Taysom Hill you would have a quarterback opening. I would sign him for three years and pick a number, you know, 60 million or whatever it is. Sign him for that right now. Front load the, the, you know, the thing. So there's a lot in the first year. So that then the Saints probably wouldn't match because they couldn't match. And then you would have your quarterback for the next three years. There's one other wrinkle here that would be completely unenforceable and folks would get in trouble if they actually did this, but this is part of life in the NFL. It's driven by relationships. It's driven by who you trust. It's driven by who you know. It's driven by how well you can work together with unofficial understandings that are completely and totally unenforceable, but both sides would have to trust each other. For example, you do the one-year offer with $15 million plus a commitment not to use the franchise tag or the transition tag after the 2020 season. And at the same time, you have an understanding as to what the next contract will be after 2020, and both sides agree now that they will honor that. And again, it's unenforceable. It would get people in trouble, but it happens. And if Taysom Hill's agent, Jeff Nally, decides that there's someone that he trusts in New England – and that person trusts him. This is a way to get Hill paid. It's a way to get him maybe to a place where he would want to be, part of a culture that not, – not, nothing against the Saints at all because this would be a tough call for Taysom Hill. But if the Saints aren't going to pay him voluntarily, you get to the point where you start looking for who's, who's willing to pay me. What did Dwight Schrute say? I'm a very loyal person, and I'm willing to go to the – person to the company that values my loyalty the most by giving the most money for it. I mean, that, that says a lot about how you feel about a guy by how much you're going to pay him. So I just, I don't want to rule that out, that there could be a side deal, a wink nod deal that would be the new contract after this one year bandaid device that would get Hill out of new Orleans. If he wants out. I mean, I think it's all what's incredible, Mike. Have we just spent 20 minutes talking about a backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints? But we a know he's going to be a star. New Orleans Saints. But we know. But Peter, here's why we did it. You and I both know yeah. this guy has star 
potential. This guy could be a Lamar Jackson type of a player if and when someone allows him to be the starting quarterback. And I'm convinced if the Saints had used him just a little bit more, maybe they'd have been in the Super Bowl against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. All right, we're going to take a break. You mentioned Tom Brady, Peter. Michael Irvin said some things on Friday that he had to walk back about the potential future of Tom Brady, possibly with a silver helmet, but goodbye flying Elvis, hello blue star. We'll talk about that next on PFT Live. So where will Tom Brady be in 2020? People have yet to really wake up to the strong possibility that he will leave the Patriots. I think most people take the position, we'll believe it when we see it. Well, Michael Irvin gave us something to ponder on Friday. The Cowboys Hall of Fame receivers on WEEI. And he said that, quote, some very significant people, end quote, told Irvin that the Cowboys may pursue hashtag Tommy in free agency. Now, Irvin would go to Twitter to say that those very significant people do not include Cowboys owner Jerry Jones or anyone else associated with the team. He still said very significant people told him Tom Brady could end up with the Cowboys. Peter, you know, on one hand, I look at this and I say, there's no way in hell that's going to happen. They have Dak Prescott. They want Dak Prescott. He's their future. He's their present. On the other hand, I look at how Prescott is squeezing Jerry Jones right now, and Jerry Jones is desperate to win a Super Bowl. Would he be willing to get what he could for Dak Prescott, tag and trade, and bring in Tom Brady and load up the cannon with Mike McCarthy for a one-year run to try to win a Super Bowl? I mean, of all the crazy things we've seen in the NFL over the past few years, this one would not be the craziest if Jerry Jones would decide to do it. I don't think it's that crazy either. I think it's unlikely, but I think the biggest question in that scenario, Mike, is what would you get for Dak Prescott? I mean... The big question right now is, what really is Dak Prescott's value? Look, he's a very good quarterback, but he's also due to get a huge payday. So would you, for instance, trade if you're a team that needs him? If you're a team that needs a quarterback, would you, let's say you're the Chargers, would you trade the whatever it is, the seventh pick in the second round, maybe plus something else? Um, for Dak Prescott, and then immediately pay him $35 million a year, which we all keep hearing that the Chargers are not exactly flush with cash. And again, that's what would be so strange. And that's why this entire offseason is bizarro world. Because there are going to be three or four things that are going to happen, like with Dak Prescott, whatever happens, that people are going to say, oh my God, I never saw that coming. Now, Jerry might emotionally want to do this. I bet today, if you asked him, who would you rather have your quarterback in 2020, Dak Prescott or Tom Brady at 43? He would say Tom Brady. That's why he's got a couple of really good personnel guys uh, and his son, you know, Stephen Jones, to talk him off this ledge because you can't build a team for the long haul if you're talking about getting rid of the guy who you've thought all along is your franchise quarterback, so you could have one year, maybe two, with a 43-year-old quarterback. And I'm fascinated by what it really would 
take to sign Dak Prescott if he were a free agent, free and clear? What would his market be? Because, see, the problem is once you start using franchise tag, the contract is driven by the value of the tag. If they use the exclusive tag on Dak Prescott, current calculations put that at $33.4 million for the first year. 20% raise for 2021 makes it $40 million for a second year. That's how you start putting together these gigantic numbers and justifying them. Market value? Who knows? We won't know and we'll never know until he's on the open market. Um, is there a team out there that would pay him $35 million? Is there a team out there that would pay him $35 million and give the Cowboys real value? I don't know. Uh, and, it, and it could be that the Cowboys just get exasperated by Dak because Dak is doing what few quarterbacks ever do. He is driving a really hard bargain. He hasn't accepted significant offers that have been on the table because he believes he's worth more and he believes he can get more. And he is pushing and pushing and pushing them. And we know how they like to get guys to do business on their terms. You know, at some point, Jerry and Steven may say, we've done everything we can to get this guy to sign the kind of deal we want him to sign. He won't do it. Let's move on to plan B. And if plan B is Tom Brady, there have been worse plan Bs in the history of the NFL. Well, not only that, Mike, but you have raised this issue a couple of times, and it's really important to know. The Dallas Cowboys need their quarterback in the building on April 5th. You know, they need their quarterback in the building then because it's a new offense, and especially if it's going to be a new quarterback, he's got to learn all his teammates. So in my opinion, if they know that there's a good chance Dak Prescott isn't going to show up till Labor Day weekend and he'll just take these huge fines, then I think they might say, might, okay, maybe we do need to go to plan B now. An amazing scenario fueled by Jerry Jones' burning desire to get a Super Bowl now. We got a good draft coming up for you on PFC Live right after this. Football Morning in America, available now at ProFootballTalk.com. Peter King's recent conversation with Super Bowl 54 MVP Patrick Mahomes, plus a lot more. First week without football, you wouldn't guess from all the content that Peter King has jammed into this week's Football Morning in America. Last night was the Oscars. I watched almost all of it. Sometimes I wonder why am I doing this, but, you know, it's on TV, and what else is on on a Sunday night in early February? Plus, you feel like you're invested in some of the movies that you've seen. You want to see what wins, what doesn't win. Parasite was great. I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. I may watch it again. Today, we are drafting. And I want to make sure I get this absolutely right so I stay within the parameters of the spirit of the draft. These are the most movie... You know, it was all going well until then. These are the most (laughs) movie-like moments of the 2019 season. (laughs) Peter King gets the first pick if he gets the trivia question correct. Here it is. Now, Peter spoke with Patrick Mahomes and his father, Pat Mahomes, for this year's football or for this week's football morning in America column. Pat Mahomes played, Peter, for six teams in his major league baseball career. For the first pick in the most movie-like moments of the year draft, name three of the teams for which Pat Mahomes played. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, the Boston Red Sox, and the New York Mets. Wow. That, that apparently falls into the what color is blue category for Peter King. My goodness. Do you have the other three? <laughs> Do you know the other three? Uh, he played for the Cubs and the Pirates, and I forget who else. Rangers. I just looked at Five it this weekend. That's kind of a cheating. 
Who uh, else? Well, yeah, yeah, the Rangers were team number six. Rangers, yeah, with a Rod. Yeah, that was the I, year that uh, that that was that was the year that uh, that young Patrick, who was five going on six, uh, learned all about uh, playing shortstop and all that. So yeah, I remember. All right, you get the first pick in the most movie-like moments of the year draft. What do you got? All right, so when I consider moments, you know, I, I, there are some there are some insta instamatic moments, you know, and some single moment moments. But I think what I'm going to do is lead with the Lamar Jackson phenomenon. I mean, not only does he run for the most yards that any quarterbacks ever run for in NFL history in a season, but he led the NFL in touchdown passes. And everybody said, hey, listen, you're going to get hurt if you expose yourself to this many hits. Well, he never got hurt. And he never apparently was in very much pain. Can this last long term? I don't know. But Lamar Jackson had the most phenomenal season that a quarterback has had in a long time and clearly one of the most phenomenal uh, seasons a quarterback has ever had. So I will take the Lamar Jackson experience for number one. Yeah, I like that pick, and I agree with you the whole season long. A biopic, really. You don't need any more from Lamar Jackson, but we're going to get a lot more, 10, 12, 15 more seasons, but this season, spectacular. Look, Here's what I like in a movie. I like suspense. I like to not know what's going to happen next. I like it to be something that can be anything. I have no idea. I'm completely in the dark about what's going to happen next. That's when I am fully and completely entertained, when my mind is engaged, when I'm braced for anything, and I have no clue what the result's going to be. So for me, uh, the most movie-like moment of the year was every single pass interference replay review because it fit the per profile perfectly. <laughs> I never knew. I never had any idea what it was going to be. It was complete and total suspense. Every time they came back from commercial and told us what the official had decided, I well, that's news to me because one week it's here and one week it's there and then it's this and you think it's going to be overturned and it's not overturned. You think it's not going to be overturned? It is overturned. So... Every week, every replay review was like sitting through a a a, a whodunit or a, some sort of suspenseful movie with drama at every turn and uncertainty abounds because I had no idea what Al Riveron was going to decide for any one of those replay reviews, Peter. I like that one, and I think it is bizarrely weird, and uh, but not good for football. That's for darn sure. Um, my second one is going to be an individual play. One of the weirdest plays I have ever seen in NFL history, and that is the kicker to punter uh, touchdown by the Miami Dolphins. And, and you know, so afterwards, when I, I think it was Jason Sanders, you know, the kicker who basically said afterwards, hey, you know, a lot of credit to our special teams coach and to Coach Flores for calling this play. But, I mean, let's be real about this. You know, when you see this play happen from every angle you saw it happen, first of all, the weirdest formation you have ever seen in your life. The offensive line is wide right in a bunch looking like they're all going to be receivers. Look at that. It's the strangest play. I, I'll, I'll, go, I'll say this. <clears throat> That's the strangest play in all my years of covering the NFL, 36 years. Never have seen anything like that. So give me that. Number two on the draft. I like that. That's a good call. Now, you know, a lot of times 
what happens in movies, like we say, that's implausible. That would never happen. No, that's not anything that we'd ever see. And then we see art imitate life, life imitate art, whatever the case may be. And we see something that happens in the real world. And we say, well, we wouldn't buy that if it was in a movie script. And I say all that because of the moment that happened on the Thursday night in November in Cleveland between the Steelers and the Browns when Miles Garrett removed the helmet of Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph and then whacked him over the head with it. That's the kind of thing that you would expect to see in a movie. And you'd say, oh, that would never happen in a real NFL game. Well, it did happen in a real NFL game to the uh, you know chagrin of the Browns and to the suspension of Miles Garrett for the rest of the season. It was not something for the NFL to be proud of, but it definitely was a moment that you would expect to see uh, not in real life, but uh, in Hollywood, Peter. Yeah, I mean, so many weird things happen this year. You almost forget about them. My, my number three is going to be, you know, Mike, when you talk about what a cool script would be for Hollywood, and let's give this one to Ron Howard and not M. Night Shyamalan, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because it's going to be a little bit of a happy story. And here is the premise. 61-year-old coach. Highly successful, he's never won the big one. 24-year-old quarterback, off to a great start in his career and loves 61-year-old coach. A city that has not won a Super Bowl in 50 years that have gotten so close, but it's seen, it, it has seemed so far away. And in the first playoff game they play, they're down 10 and they've got to come back. In the second play, or they're down 24, and they got to come back. In the second playoff game, they're down 10, and they got to come back. In the third playoff game, seven and a half minutes left in the game, they're down 10 against the best defense in football, the best pass rush in football. And that pass rush is pummeling the 24-year-old hero uh, in this game. And what happens? The 24-year-old hero comes to the sideline and says, Let's run Wasp. Do we have time to run Wasp? And when he does that, the coach who's been calling plays all his life, he wants to be the guy who calls the, you know, the play that wins the Super Bowl. However, he recognizes, hey, this kid is precocious. He's beyond his years. He's so smart. I'm going to do exactly what this quarterback wants to do because I trust him. Even though... This is the biggest, most important play call of my life. They make the play call, and this is why it's got to be Ron Howard. On third and 15, it friggin' worked. 44-year-old, <laughs> 44-yard pass, and they go on to score three times, not twice, in the last seven minutes, and they win going away 31-20. to 20. And afterwards, the first words out of the 24-year-old quarterback's mouth, and I quote almost exactly, I really wanted to win this for Andy. That, to me, it not only could be a movie, but it should be. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I had the entire Chiefs postseason run. That, in, that everything about it is, is something that, that Hollywood would maybe reject. It, 24 points down, 10 points down, 10 points down. That you, the offense is going nowhere, and all of a sudden you're going to wake up in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Oh, sure, right. Yeah, that's going to happen, and it did. All right, one more for me, and, and I'm going to end where you began, Peter. Uh, I'm going to take a liberty because you kind of have already touched on this topic, but but another thing I like about 
movies is a good monologue. And there's a, a short list of them that stand out for me. Al Pacino in And Justice for All, uh, Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, Michael Clayton's uh, encounter with Tilda Swinton at the end, or it was George Clooney's encounter with Tilda Swinton at the end of Michael Clayton. So the best monologue of the year by far. It wasn't Lamar Jackson, but it was about Lamar Jackson. Here's our good buddy Mark Ingram with his big trust speech from midway through the season. Now I would just like to introduce y'all to the man, the myth, the legend, the MVP frontrunner. If anybody else got to say something different about that, then come see me. I'm right here in Beemore outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Woo woo. Lamar Jackson in the flesh. Yes, sir. Big trust. No, <laughs> that's that's mine. That's that's just that's uh, that's the moment of the year. That's good. the non off the field moment of the year is Mark Ingram in the big trust speech. And and that really was the moment we all kind of said, hey, you know what? Maybe he is the MVP. It was before it became clear <laughs> that he was the guy. And after that, it became very clear he was the guy, Peter. Look, you know, this was only the second year, you know, of the MVP award that it was unanimous following Tom Brady nine years ago. And I, I, even though I made a big deal in my column last week that Russell Wilson in eight years has never received an MVP vote, there have been, there have been 400 MVP, MVP votes cast in his eight years as a quarterback in the NFL. And he's 0 for 400, even though, you know, he's Russell Wilson, he's been pretty darn good. But this year, and look, the people who vote for these awards, you can only vote for one guy. And in my opinion, that kind of in the middle of November was the moment that he started taking off with the MVP vote. Not just taking off with it, but galloping away on Secretariat. That's when everybody started saying, this guy, come on, he's the MVP. And even though you wanted to give it the full season and everything, you really didn't need to because by the middle of December, by like week 14, you knew. The Baltimore Ravens were having a very special year, and they had a very special quarterback leading them. Peter, do you remember Bob and Doug McKenzie? Um, Is that right? Are they the Canadian? What's that? Yeah, Great White North. No. From from Saturday Night Live. Yes, yes, okay, yes, yes. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I, I mentioned them because I have one honorable mention selection on the way out the door. They had a movie called Strange Brew, which uh, would would describe the Gatorade that was being stirred by the stack of cups in a plastic wrapper in that Monday night game between the Bears <laughs> and Washington. There it is. Go ahead. Enjoy the Gatorade. No matter how filthy that plastic wrapper of, of cups stirring that strange brew may be. Uh, yeah, sure. That's Gatorade, Gatorade and all sorts of other stuff. we got to take a break. When we return, what are the reasonable expectations for the XFL as we move forward? We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT live right after this. Wake up. We're back. Oh, wait, don't just fake listen. Cause we know. So the XFL made its debut over the weekend. The kickoff formation, I love it. I hope the NFL takes it under consideration and isn't too proud to swipe it from the XFL. I don't think there's any patent that applies to it. The NFL could just do it if they want to do it. Peter, you know, one other facet of the XFL, the conversions. 
from the two-yard line for one, from the five-yard line for two, from the 10-yard line for three. We didn't see a whole lot of coaches going for two from the five. I mean, you still have to punch it into the end zone from the two. Why not put it on the five? You have a little more room to work with. Why not put it on the 10? There were zero three-point attempts after touchdowns. Why not put it on the 10? And look, somebody will when you're down nine. Or, or I mean, look, you're down 10, uh, or you're down nine, rather, and you score a touchdown, so you, you get within three. Of course you're going to do that if you're in the fourth quarter of a game. But I've always said this. If teams were interested in scoring the maximum number of points in the first and second quarter, I would always, always go for two because if you practice going for two, if you've got a mobile quarterback and you go for two, I mean, the odds are that over time, you're going to score more points and be better than 50% going for two than if you just automatically went for one every time. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't see more of that kind of aggressiveness because that's what the, the league is supposed to be founded upon wide open freewheeling you know the scoring wasn't the, the the kind of numbers that will get people excited I'm really concerned about when March rolls around because I remember last year Peter the AAF I was paying close attention to it and then the weekend when the NFL free agency pre-tampering period came I completely forgot about the AAF and then comes March Madness and people are watching basketball and then there's the Masters and 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 you know baseball comes back I just think that that whatever momentum the XFL develops before March, I don't know that it can last. And I, and I know it's going to make it through the season. Vince McMahon has the money for two or three seasons or more, and he's willing to spend it. Apparently, I, I just I just hope that it establishes a foothold. I, I I'm just skeptical because I don't want to get invested and have it disappear like the AAF did and other spring leagues have done. And I keep wrestling with this reality that. Football not in football season just doesn't seem like football. And if they really want to do it right, Big Cat and I were talking about this on Friday, Peter. Start it up late in the NFL season. Play on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And piggyback through the most exciting aspects of the NFL season. It gives people football while football season is still happening. And then maybe the season can culminate over the balance of February before we get into March and college basketball heats up and baseball spring training is open and hockey is getting more interesting and the NBA is starting to get more relevant. Why not just end it in February and have it overlap with the NFL season? I don't know. I don't know why both the AAF and the XFL felt compelled to start up one week after the Super Bowl. It just, it just, it doesn't seem as natural as they think it it would be. At the end of the day, Mike, I think the only way it's going to make it is if, you basically say, okay, we have $500 million right now. Because, you know, I laugh when people say, well, they've got all the money to do it and all that. Well, year after year, week, or I'm sorry, week after week, month after month, if you're writing checks for a million bucks, a million three, a million five, and the checks coming back into your coffers are $28,000, $36,000, and clearly you are absolutely bleeding money how long are you going to do that for? And so you, if, if I'm Vince McMahon, if I'm Oliver Luck, whenever we started, the only thing I'm concerned about is telling every community that we're in, look, we're not going anywhere. You've heard that before, but we're really not going anywhere. And sign rock-solid ironclad contracts that at least, at the very least, get you through year two. 
Yeah, I mean, the AAF acted like it had money, and it didn't. The XFL has the money. And the XFL has the real TV contracts. That first AAF game was on yeah. CBS. They weren't going to have another game on CBS until the end of the season. It was BR Live. It was, uh, you know, cable channels that aren't sports channels. You've got ESPN. You've got Fox. Uh, you know, you've got you've got legitimate TV broadcast partners that that could help. I, I just, I just, I'm going to be skeptical. I I want to see it work be. before I believe it's going to work. And 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 I want I want star players, Peter. They neither either need to attract them or they need to cultivate them and hope that they can keep them if they do cultivate them. You know, the quarterbacks are the ones that you have to make sure are going to be your, you know, big guys. They can't be guys who, hey, this guy was in an NFL training camp and he play, he started two games in the NFL. Well, if he's not in the NFL anymore, there's probably a reason for that. That's why I'll take guys who've lived on the edge of an NFL roster, but they're exciting players with great promise. Give me those guys. I'd rather see them than, a, than Connor Cook or even Landry Jones, who I've heard of, but give me the exciting quarterbacks. Great day, Peter. Let's do it again tomorrow. Everybody enjoy your Monday. See you Tuesday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.